Please note, this episode contains some strong language. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I was doing um, BBC Radio a couple weeks ago and there's like all these different people and you have to wait till they say like what about you Medea and then you're like pause so you're not overlapping and then you're like blah 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 because you know it's like all these people and it's like you know on the radio live and I have to really be conscious about my Tourette's and swearing and stuff it's really pressure filled (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's how we've started this record that is just the perfect sound bite (laughs) there you go well, you absolutely don't need to watch what you're saying on this because this is the Broad and the Brave media, and uh, I am just I'm I'm genuinely thrilled that we're doing this, and I can't believe that I didn't think about this happening before now. So apologies for that. Like you should have been on the Broad and the Brave way before this. I I've seen the other people have been on it, and I'm happy to be amongst such amazing talent. So I mean, I'm happy to have been asked. There's there's no reason to uh, have been here sooner. <laughs> Well, it is lovely that we're connecting, albeit over the internet, and we have been connecting over the internet from the minute that we, we met, so we've never met in real life, and you're currently in America, and I'm currently here in very Verydrich, Scotland, and um, Medea Cohan, we met through this wonderful, wonderful thing that I've tried to tell everybody about, which is Creative Entrepreneurs Club, and we'll get there, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But I went on your LinkedIn, just trying to get a sense of Medea and everything that you've done. Because obviously you're just meeting somebody online and you're only getting a, a snippet of what who they are and what they've done. Wow, what a list. I think I, I, just after like going through your um, your LinkedIn, I was like, I think Medea is like a really curious person. Like you just seem to have done so many different things. And I guess like it's under like a wide umbrella with lots of kind of recurring themes but where do you think that kind of curiosity and like the willingness to to try things and do things that are a bit different comes from? I think when you're not naturally good at one thing you end up looking at lots of things you know you just try things and actually even though if you look at my history it's and it's probably not all on LinkedIn because I'm so old that it's not worth listing like the early stages of my career. But I mean, I started out in, in sports marketing. So I started out in professional ice hockey because I played ice hockey. And that was one of the few things I was decent at. And, and I could talk. And so I was, a, a, you know, I went and studied communications. My undergrad is in sports marketing and PR. So I started out working in a thing I knew how to do. Because honestly, I mean, I'm such a late bloomer. I still, I'm not really good at anything. I'm just kind of okay at enough things to kind of put them in a pot and be unemployable and have to start my own businesses. But I think that um, you end up trying lots of things when you are figuring out who you are. And then if you, I don't know, if you just decide, I, I'm not good at just sticking. I, I, it's not that I'm not good at sticking with one thing. It's sticking in one place, maybe. But I like, I I think if you look across my journey, even though it's all over the place, industry-wise, like sports and fine art and entrepreneurship and 
all different kinds of things. Um, the thing that connects it is really um, relationship management and connecting people and making things happen. I really love, you know, cooking up insane schemes and then making them happen. And I really like helping people realize their their creative vision or their, you know, their dreams. <laughs> You'll enjoy this story. I was in Selfridges years ago with my good friend, Eamon Maxwell, who's one of the advisors at CEC and is a brilliant curator. And we were at Selfridges for the launch of some art party in London. And this old man turned to me and I was a few champagnes in and he said, what do you do? And I said, I make dreams come true. What do you do? And he said, oh, that's amazing. I own, I own Selfridges. And I was like, oh shit, what have I done? <laughs> what a dick. Who says things like that? Like, I love it. So anyway, that's why I, I don't say that out loud to other people because it sounds so twee and obnoxious, but I like helping people realize their, their dreams. And if I can be a part of kind of getting them forward, then that's a wonderful, you know, what, what a cool thing to be a part of. I'm not, I'm not, I don't really make anything or do anything. So I just have to help other people do their things. But that's really important work. And like, we were just talking about that prior to hitting record. And that's why I was like, we should have just hit record for the word go. Because we were saying that very thing, like, it's about helping each other. And, and whatever you're doing, like, you'll know somebody, you'll have had a wee experience, you'll have had, you know, a bit of a lesson learned that you can impart that wisdom to somebody else. And, and I'm just like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Because the joy of like helping other people in any sort of capacity you know, from a, from a purely selfish point of view, it feels nice to like be nice to people and help them out. But also you just hope that, you know, somebody would do that for you in return when you need it. Yeah. And I think, you know, in life, you will always encounter people who are so brilliant and creative and doing such great things and they just can't get out of their own way. And that's what I'm there for. I'm there to go, get out of your fucking way. <laughs> I This is how you do it. Just get out of the way. It's You're brilliant. You shouldn't have to do that side of it. I'll do that side. You do this stuff and or I'll find you someone who can help you. But, you know, there's too many obstacles, you know. Mm. Well, that's what, you know, I was totally drawn to your energy. And I know we're saying that we're just online, but you just get an, a sense of somebody that you're like, I like you, I like what you're all about. And I like your energy. And I think there's just something there that we would connect on. And we did. And look, when I was lucky enough to have like that mentor kind of hour with you, where you're, you did that very thing where you were like, well, here's what you could do and here's what you could do. And I was like yeah 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 I could and like just for somebody to take charge for that moment of your situation and just give you a wee nugget of wisdom or an idea or because as creatives we're all up in our head and it's all our own ideas and quite often that can just be too much and not very productive it's nice to like hand the reins over to somebody else and go what should I do yeah and I just don't know I, I I sort of feel like people don't care enough when other people do that when other people are vulnerable enough to ask for help you know, and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, we were saying before we started recording, it's my gripe about Scotland is that nobody likes to ask for help because nobody wants to be seen as weak. Nobody wants to be seen as succeeding. There's like this horrible place in the middle where we all have to exist and sort of keep our, you know, our bragging to a minimum and our complaining reasonably high, but not too high. So, you know, it's that striking that balance. And I think when someone's vulnerable enough to say, I need help, I'm stuck to take the time to care, to give, you know, to give support, to, to ask the right questions, to give ideas, to help get them back up, especially at a moment like this where we're all stuck and we're all in our own heads and we're all in our tiny spaces. And it's really hard to keep your energy up and keep motivated that other people are kind of caring and sharing their energy when they have it. And it's much easier to help other people than help yourself. And you find really quickly that it actually helps yourself. I mean, I 
tell people all the time it's a selfish endeavor. People think I'm just so generous. It's like, I mean, I wouldn't do it if it felt shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm basking in the glow. Yeah, yeah. I feel a part of that. I feel like I I helped with that. That's also a little bit mine. (laughs) So if I can take you back a wee bit. I mean, I don't necessarily need to go chronological, but I'm just really interested in that. You mentioned the the word ice hockey, and I was like, what? Because that's something I did not know about you. So in your ice hockey days, was it your plan to be a professional ice hockey player? Like I... um there were there wasn't professional there wasn't like olympic women's ice hockey when i played ice hockey a couple years after i played there was and i have some re- great friends who played at high levels i was never that good um i just like to fight and shout and cheer and be obnoxious anyone who ever played with you will tell you <laughs> all brute force no talent um, and, where, and where was this where were you growing up um in in massachusetts i um was at boston university it's a revered sport in New England and so I left university and I went to work for the Boston Bruins and then after that I went to work for a sports agent was very Jerry Maguire um what I really wanted to do at the time was be like the first female scout in the NHL so I wanted to talent scout and I wanted to put teams together and Bobby Orr who's one of the greatest hockey players of all time and a lovely human being owned the agency that I worked for. And he said, that was a fucking terrible idea. It's freezing in those rinks and it's fat old men staying in shitty hotels, staring at guys playing hockey. And I, I could do more than that. And he wasn't wrong. It would have been a terrible career. <laughs> and I hate being cold. Um, but I think that sentiment of putting teams together is something that's always interested me in. And, you know, finding um, that collection of people who make something work really well together is something that has always been a part of what I do. And I love building great cultures and and teams. So it started then, probably. Um, I, I doubt I had that kind of lack of awareness of it. But yeah, it was, it was really great. I mean, I learned a lot about marketing. And back then, it was like the ab fab days. You know, it was madness. You could put on, you know, crazy events. We put on some like we were marketing the U.S. Pro Tennis Championships and we stopped traffic in a major intersection in Boston and pulled out a tennis net and had two like top level, like one of the top 10 tennis players play tennis in the middle of traffic, cars honking, you know, all, all for PR. But you could do that kind of shit in the 90s. It was mad. So Yeah, like you know. even when I, you know, I was a pro cheerleader here for four years and we went to um, pro dance in Miami and then we went to pra- uh, Palm Springs and just going into that world it was like the Miami Dolphins like the Lakers and then us you know and they were all branded up and they had so many like they were all coming with their kit and they were sponsored it they're not and we were just like it was like a total culture shock just obviously just in America like pro sports was just so supported and celebrating just part of the culture and we were just like what is going on like it was just another world and I mean that was like early 2000s that we were there I mean in America it's insane all that stuff is so heavily funded and such a huge part of our culture and so like obnoxious but yeah I, yeah, loved well, it. I mean I loved it I totally loved it yeah and I like learned so much when I was there it was like the best time ever but just being, just remember thinking like, this is just mad. This is so exciting. <laughs> so like in that world, are you happy in that world? Are you enjoying that world? I mean, I never, I, I've never been someone who behaved and it's uh, a place where you really are expected to behave and wear suits. And I mean that, you know, like in the Jerry Maguire movie, when he makes that kind of like, wouldn't it be nice to have a soul mission statement and they all turn on him? I think that is reasonably accurate. And I was kind of always, you know, myself and I have um sort of uncompromising and a big personality and 
I've never looked good in a suit. It's just not who I want to be. I felt really constricted and really sort of like I was fancy dress professional and sort of pretending to be someone. So it was never going to stay there probably. Um, but I met some great people and I learned a lot and it was worth it because my next stop was in California working it, for a PR firm at the height of the dot-com boom in San Francisco. So, you know, again, total ab-fab insanity, like daytime drinking and websites throwing absurd amounts of money at you and doing, creating insane events. And I loved that as well. But, you know, if I hadn't done the sports marketing stuff, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have. Well, actually, to be fair, between that, I did sports marketing for the Beta Breakers, which is the largest running race in the world. And they run from the Bay to the Breakers in San Francisco. And they, um, there's like five guys dressed as salmon running a- against 80,000 people coming the other direction. There's like naked people. It's just general insanity. So I did that first, which was okay. a major project management, event management, marketing activity. And then I left there and went to work for this PR firm, which was amazing and did like, you know, the early sort of websites like Lycos and things like that. And that was really fun. And like I went on tour with Dungeons and Dragons books and, um, Harry Potter trading card games and things like that and saw these pasty white adolescents, you know, who never saw a woman before. So, you know, it it was total adventures. I mean, I feel like a cat with nine lives. That was such a long time ago. And, you know, my career has changed so much since then. All of it was fun, you know, and all of it was figuring out who you are and where you belong. And I think that was probably my last job that wasn't all those jobs I found the creative in and found my own place in. But that was my last job that wasn't solely focused on working with creative people because that was really what I always wanted to do. And if I wasn't, um, if I was alive in a different time, if I was alive now and you could go to art school and fuck around and not have a real career, then maybe I would have. But I think, um, you know, I got a job. I I studied something I could get a job in because I needed a job. But I always wanted to be with creative people. I was always, even as a kid, you know, designing things and dressing up dolls and wanting to design my own clothes and things like that. But I'm, I'm just not really good at that stuff, but I like being near it. But I think it's important to not, I mean, I understand if people have regrets and look back and go, oh, I wish I'd done that, or maybe if I'd just done that. But the thing is that that is your, that's your path. That's your journey. That's, I guess, everything that you've done to this point will be feeding into what you're doing presently. You know, and all those experiences, all those people you met, you, you learn what you do want to do and you definitely learn what you don't want to do. And the thing about you is that, when you realise what you don't want to do, then you're moving on to the next thing then. Yeah, yeah, totally. So fast forward almost like to kind of present day and now you're in this space where you are working on a regular basis with creatives. Would you consider yourself to be a creative? Cre- uh, the lovely Kate who runs Curate Glasgow says curate, uh, creative adjacent. And I think that's probably accurate. I think... Um, supporter of creatives. I I am creative in that I, you know, cook up all kinds of ridiculous ideas and things like that, but I don't realize tangible creative things. So maybe creative adjacent. Well, you say that though, but I know you are also a writer and a published author. I mean, I would, you know, I think if a book has less than 50 words, I'm not sure you're a writer. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I do have a book. (laughs) You do have a book, a very cool book. How did that all come about? So, um, that was my maternity leave, probably. Um, I think um, the book is not so much a desire to be a writer as it was a, a gap that I saw that I felt I had an obligation to fill. So I probably wasn't the right person to do it. I'm sure that 
any of those faiths would have rather that someone who was a faithful person wrote wrote that book. Um, but uh, I really, I, I mean, it's a hobby of mine anyway. I love to identify gaps in the market, and I usually would like to find someone else to fill them. You know, I live in Heinlein and I'm desperate for a sushi place like right near my house, but I'm not going to make one because I don't actually know how. But that's the kind of thing where I'm like, this would kill in this market. I could do all the research. I could do all the stuff, but Uh I'm not a sushi chef. So some things you just have to let go of, but some things, you know, you can do. And um, I probably would have never done the book if I didn't have a friend who was a publisher and is Muslim and was putting out um, faith-based publications and she'd uh, someone that had been on when I ran school for creative startups in London she'd been on the course and gone on to do amazing things Um, and we kept in touch and I said it was the beginning of Brexit and it was like at the time when like Boris Johnson was saying horrible things like um, women in burqas looked like ninjas or you know what just horrible letterboxes or whatever stupid thing he was saying and mm. at the same time France was starting to make wearing um, hijabs illegal and things like that and I just thought um, I, I was asked by another one of my former students who's now a very famous chef called Asma Khan to take part in a, a supper club that was celebrating multiple cultures working together so there was like a Scottish Brazilian dinner where two different chefs cooked and I did a Jewish Muslim dinner. So I cooked Jewish food and my friend cooked Muslim food. And during that whole experience and that kind of time when like, it felt like you had to kind of celebrate Britain's diversity and cultural diversity and faith diversity and really kind of shout about why nobody wanted Brexit. I felt that there was a massive gap in education for people about the fact that people other than Muslims cover their heads, that it is intrinsic to all abrionic faiths it's in all scriptures for all of those faiths to cover their heads and we're only we're we're demonizing muslims and actually you know i lived in tuting south london at the time which is super diverse and on any given sunday you see these women in these incredible african dresses with loud patterns and headdresses and you see sikhs with turbans and you see you know everybody's there mixing and you know i had a little boy who was in no time going to be about an inch away from someone's face and say, what's that? And I wanted to have an answer. And I felt like it's super easy for me. I was raised Jewish, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not religious to use my white privilege to be like, it has nothing to do with us. Don't worry about it. You know, instead of going, well, let's talk about it. Let's ask them. Let's find out about it. I would now say that I borderline have a PhD in head rapology that I <laughs> I spent a year and a bit researching for a book with less than 50 words. And I still have hate mail <laughs> all the time, as well as lots of love mail. I can't, I can't make that sound like it's one-sided, but you know, um, when you do anything, uh, you know, like, so the lesson was, even though there was a gap to fill, the reason sometimes the gap isn't filled is because it's a fucking nightmare to fill. And, you know, it's a huge amount of work to take something that people feel as passionately about as their faith and try to dilute that down to simple terms for children. There will always be something to argue about because faith is not a a one-sided situation. It's very complex. So it was an ultra challenge that I set myself, but um, it was also a brilliant project. And I really miss being a part of that team, the illustrator Sarah Walsh, who's coming to speak at CC, who's just untrue. I mean, she just reimagined Matilda for um, Raw Doll. 
she's just yeah. amazing. And Hajera, my publisher, who's a dear friend. I mean, that trio of women, one Christian, one Jewish, one Muslim, doing it together, it was just such a gift, the experience. But um, equally, I'm glad to be rid of it. <laughs> It sounds to me that you put so much time and effort and like you were saying research into this like what you're saying this small book but this really important book and it's that you know it's that idea of like you saw a gap if you like you you couldn't find a resource to help explain this to your son and it's not like you waded in and just made it up like you you did the research and you spoke to lots of people and but yeah I think it's like you're just not going to be able to please all of the people all the time and as long as you're not you're not going about going I'm the authority on this then you know it's like that willingness to learn and it sounds like you went and did your homework yeah I mean I think you have to be able to stand behind anything you put out in the world you have to know that you've done because it's easy to be naive and it's easy to believe your own bullshit. And I think you have to, um, you know, the amount of versions of book of that book that there are, you know, I mean, I think the one that was printed was like 70 something, you know, we went and met with people at like the British museum, religious costume department. We met with faith leaders of all over the world. I was on phone calls in Zimbabwe to people to talk about African head coverings are really, really, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of countries in Africa and they all have different, beliefs and and reasons for why they cover their heads or don't or whatever so I mean it was insanity it was it was a much bigger task than I ever imagined it would be and set out to do and when people ask me to do follow-up books to it I'm always like it sounds nice but I don't have a year (laughs) I don't have (laughs) I don't I'm not inviting any more hostility you know the people who love it and there are loads of them they're so generous and kind and and send us lovely notes. And I love getting pictures of kids reading this book. And it's insane how far it's gone. Like I get pictures, I got something the other day from a woman in like Korea with her kid. And I'm just like, how did you get this book? Um, So it's awesome that you put things out there and they kind of have a life of their own. But equally, I think it's, um, you know, it says a lot about the cancel culture that we currently live in, where, you know, everybody thinks their view is the rightest view and the most righteous view. And without really understanding the bigger picture or motivations or, you know, whatever, they just assume that you, um, that you're an idiot and that you've, you've misrepresented or misappropriated or whatever. And I think we need to give each other a little bit more grace and a little bit more, um, just change the tone of how we approach those things and and open conversations because you don't change anything by telling other people they're wrong. You change things by trying to understand where they're coming from and working together to kind of get to a different place. And I think we we have lost a little bit of that in the, in recent years. And I understand why. I mean, everyone's knackered and burned out, and change isn't happening fast enough. But equally, I think it won't happen if we're just shouting at each other. So true. And you had mentioned about your work in London and that I'd like to kind of get into that the idea of you know creatives being a creative is one thing and having all these amazing ideas and light bulb moments but to become an entrepreneur to have a business to be self-employed to start something that doesn't come naturally to everyone I remember going freelance I'm just thinking from my perspective like it, I was I was kind of pushed into it almost because I was working for a, a dance company that lost their funding and it was like well what am I going to do now? And going freelance was like a massive deal, especially to go full time. For you, what are the biggest hurdles for, for creatives in terms of like that world of going into business, starting up your own thing? Um, I really think it is not for the weak. Like I, 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 I chastise 
I take umbrage with the government who for the last 10 years has kind of told everyone to be an entrepreneur because the, you know, career industry, big business is shrinking and having job, there are no jobs. So they're like, yeah, go off and learn how to be an entrepreneur. It's not a solution for everybody. It can be very isolating. It can be very difficult. And, you know, we're not painting that full picture. We're just like chucking sort of money at people to go train and like to open up a business account and whatever. But the truth is that there's grit and, you know, um, determination and resilience of character before you even start with what the idea is. Because you can have a brilliant idea. This is the thing people don't get. You can have brilliant ideas. I see brilliant ideas all the time, but you're not the person to bring that to life. And you're cross when somebody else does, but you didn't want to talk to anybody about it and you didn't have the follow through and you didn't, you know. So an idea, ideas are like farts. Everybody has them. <laughs> like yes. it's, you, it's not hard to come up with an idea. It's really hard to take that idea all the way through to fruition yeah. and overcome hurdles every day. And I don't think I have, loads of skills that that equal I don't know like job but I think one of my greatest abilities is I, I actually over many years of running my own businesses I enjoy overcoming those hurdles and those challenges and finding creative solutions and I think that that is the crux of it you really need to not be shaken easily and you really need to just it's like there's it's not plan a and b it's plan all the way to z like you've got backups upon backups you've got you know, other ways of doing it and alternative perspectives. And, you know, just you're always coming at things. There's got to be a way. And, mm. you know, there's got to be someone you know. There's got to be an 11th hour solution. So, and there is. Um, but I think it really takes that grit and that tenacity. And I don't think everybody has it. And I don't think everybody should have it. Everyone shouldn't be running their own business. It's insane. It's wonderful when it works. And I think it's important that people like you and I, who, uh, may be unemployable at this point, be able to realize our dreams and do our things. But equally, like, you know, if you're not making more money than you're spending, then you have an expensive hobby. So if you can't come to terms with the money, and you can't ask people for it, and you don't think you deserve it, and you can't rectify your mindset with being deserving of being paid for your skills. And I know I'm being self deprecating about my lack of skills, but I'm fucking expensive, and I'm worth it. And <laughs> it's because I deliver, you know, in a world where people love to give it this and waffle on and don't deliver, I'm a doer. And it's easy to undervalue that. It's easy to undervalue grocery store workers till you need groceries and there's a fucking pandemic. You know, Can all I these people, the value of them in your life is very different when you need them. So, you know, I think it's really gotten to show we should be paying teachers well, we should be paying frontline workers well, we should be caring about them and taking care of them because they're human beings. And, you know, we all deserve to be paid for what we do. An hour of my life is the same as an hour of a lawyer's life. And they probably charge 17 times what I make. But we're all humans and we're all got ticking clock here. So, you know, but I, I think you need to believe that you are deserving of that and um, be able to ask for that money and be able to earn it and, you know, deliver. I feel like I should just have like a weekly chat with you, Media, just to like, could you just like come and organize my entire life? <laughs> organizing yours is a lot more appealing than organizing mine I have to tell you <laughs> so earlier on I mentioned that I discovered this amazing thing online like you do when you're in a pandemic and stuck at home and going what is my life and like I can't be in the room with other people now what's this all about and I, I stumbled across creative entrepreneurs club and just was like what is this this is like a club that I need to be part of and you co-founded creative entrepreneurs club so how did that all come around i was sick of london 
I had a little boy and my world became about a one mile radius. And I just thought I'm busting my ass to live in a city where I no longer capitalize on all the resources and all the things that were here. You know, a year before that I'd been at the opening of a bottle. Um, and, and all of a sudden my world was very small and I just thought this isn't really where I want to raise my kid and what I want to be doing. So my husband works in television. He's always never where I am. So it didn't matter where I was. Two or three of my best friends are in Scotland anyway. Um, and I had a friend base there. And um, one day we had been looking for places to live outside of London. And the problem with outside of London is you just always have to go back into London. And uh, Glasgow has rumored to have a TV industry, <laughs> a media industry, which is what my husband works in. I can work anywhere. So um, he got a short-term contract in Elgin so that we could try it out. So we Airbnb'd our house in, in London, moved up to Glasgow, and I was sharing a workspace with one of my very good friends, Nova Stevenson, who's become my business partner in CEC. And um, she was running a, a social enterprise, helping people develop their um, online presence for social enterprises. And I was freelancing for London clients, getting paid very well, but feeling really like I was a voyeur in Glasgow and not really being a part of something. And equally, using that time to kind of go like, what's here? What's not here? Where are all the creative people? What are they doing? Why can't I find them? What the fuck? I know they're here. Why can't I find anyone? And I was sort of looking at like, you know, Creative Edinburgh and Creative Sterling and all these other things and wondering why Glasgow, which seemed super creative to me, didn't have that. And I, Nova and I started talking about what it would take to create Creative Glasgow. And um, our other friend, Allison Fullerton, who's amazing, um, said, go and talk to the Cultural Enterprise Office because I know the woman there, Rachel Brown, and she's keen to start something like that. Why don't you go talk to her? So Nova and I went and talked to Rachel and Rachel said, yeah, come here and do it with me. This is years ago. So we, we went there and she said, you know, Creative Scotland want to fund it. It'll be great. Cool. So we go there and I think this is, this is a piece of piss, right? I'm going to be employed to start a business. This is brilliant. Except Cultural Enterprise Office was undergoing a lot of change with Rachel having come in and Creative Scotland parted ways a bit with them and things were complicated. So we spent a year there trying to work with what they had while kind of plugging away at what Creative Entrepreneurs Club could be and, and arguing with everyone that it should be Creative Entrepreneurs Club, that Cultural Enterprise Office needed to do things around entrepreneurship rather than just, you know, your nice hobby, whatever, that actually we needed to teach people how to be able to be sustainable and have independence. That was really important. And there wasn't tons of support for the word entrepreneurship. And it's still an argument. And I think not not really because people are against the word, but because creative people don't often see themselves that way. Because um, I don't know why. <laughs> because if you want to eat and pay your bills from the thing you make, to me, that's entrepreneurship. Um, but I think that it's a little, it's got a little dirty connotation to creatives who want to be pure. So it's always a conundrum. Um, but yeah, I mean, we started it. Uh, like, I don't know, six or nine months before the pandemic. So that's, it was, we were, we were trucking along, we were doing really well. And then the pandemic hit and we were fortunate enough to get funding to be able to um, waive the joining fee and run the program for free. And we went from like 400 members to two and a half thousand members, you know, in the last 10 months or whatever it's been, which is, it, to me, it says a lot about the lack of support 
during this for our community. I think a lot of people kind of, and it's not their fault. I think a lot of other organizations felt the hit and, you know, weren't able to, to keep providing their service. But it was really important to us that even at the sacrifice of our own sanity, that we didn't just pull the covers over our head because we as a sector are hit harder than a lot of other sectors. And it was really important that we showed up every day and told everybody we were going to come through this together, or at least we'd be there. You guys were like a lifeline and, and still are like, because, you know, I'm lucky enough to work in a variety of different projects and have met lots of lovely people and you keep in touch and all the rest of it. But like you say, all the organizations that you work with normally, they all had their own challenges to, to deal with and they couldn't necessarily be there you know, for people, especially if there was no work happening, there, nothing was being created. So just that opportunity to go online and feel like you were doing something like, I felt like I was going to work. You know, I was signing into an event and I was participating and I was listening and learning. And it just felt like you had some sort, sort of purpose. And those really early days, especially when it just was all about like, what is going on? Like, why am I not in my work? Like, why am I not making anything? And just to feel part of like a community and heard and just to see other actual humans, like albeit over the internet, but it's, it really helped massively. Yeah, you got to take it where you can. I think um, I'm glad it helped. That was the point, and and it is the point. And I think you know, I'm really we are really dedicated to being there for the community, for being accessible, for being practical, for you know solving the sectoral problems. I mean, this morning I was on a call, and. I have a massive gripe with how funding applications are handled or any applications, award applications, whatever in the creative sector, that we all have to develop these skills that aren't really innate to our business in order to apply for funding that we never get anyway, because, you know, we don't qualify. <laughs> so, you know, and the problem isn't that we don't have the skills. The problem is that there's a, why, why are you people in the creative industries creating application forms that we don't know how to fill in that don't make sense to us or that ask information that we would never have as small creative businesses. You know, we're using measures of scale that don't apply to us, that apply to big businesses. Why is that the case? So, you know, I'm dedicated, we are dedicated to influencing policy around things like that and trying to make those changes across the sector, not just, you know, I mean, equally sending newsletters and, and trying to keep people feeling better about themselves. And I always know when you've written that, that <laughs> letter, like as soon as it starts, I'll start reading it. I'm like, that is just media. Like, and I know we've never met, but I get, I just get the sense that you are being your authentic self. Like we were speaking about this before we started recording, you know, as well, just like asking for help or saying, I don't know that, or, you know, or just being like, Oh, this is a mess in it. Like, I think that's really important, especially when you're out there on your own doing your thing. Like, it's great to collaborate and, you know, get an opportunity to do that, but we're not always there. But sometimes it's like you said earlier on, it's like a lonely existence. And if somebody can just be like, this is dead hard, isn't it? You'd be like, yes, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, like her or hate her, I've been watching Nicola loads from here because it's better than the politics I get in this country. Um, and I think one of the things she does really well that makes her a good leader is that she is empathetic. She is like, this is shit. I don't want to have to be up here telling you you can't see your family. I haven't seen my own mother, but this is where we're at. And I, I think with CEC, it's the same. You know, I, I think it is shit. Why would I tell you it's going to be fine? Put on a happy face. That doesn't feel good. That just makes you feel shitter for feeling shit. So, you know, I think owning where we are, being honest about what we're doing and what we can do. And, you know, some days are just going to suck. And I wish I could change that for people. I can't, but I'm here to go through the suckiness with you. And that's what I got on offer. So, you know, one of the reasons I work in the creative industries, when you ask me about sports, and the reason I don't work in that industry, 
is because I want to be my authentic self. And I think, you know, not all worlds accept this package. So you got to find where you belong. And the creative industries is, I always say we're a bit of an island of broken toys, you know, like if you don't belong somewhere else. And, and this is what's so interesting about CEC. We don't say you have to be one of these things. So we get a lot of people who aren't necessarily traditional creative industries, but they've self-selected because they don't belong somewhere else. And I love that. I love that we've got like, and people from all over the world. Um, I We had a call with someone in like Israel and I was like, do you really not have any help there? Like, I'm worried for you. <laughs> Gosh. But that's amazing that they've discovered CECs, like, you know, how they've arrived at you guys and just feel like it's the perfect fit for them. They're not on some list. They've just got an essence, you know, just got a vibe from what, what you're putting out into the world. And they're like, yeah, I belong there. Yeah, I mean, how cool. Like, I think it's just about like-minded people finding their tribe and people who get them. And, you know, if we do that, then we're we're doing what we set out to do. I feel like I won something. Totally. I think it's wonderful. Like, I have to congratulate you all on what you've achieved, especially starting something and then like the pandemic hitting. Like, it could have been easy enough just to be like, let's put press pause, let's wait. I mean, gosh, like, you would never have known how long you were going to wait. <laughs> wait. It was just as well you did something. Well, I you know we're three of the most stubborn, pig headed mothers you ever met running this business. Like, uh, Rachel takes the prize, and I'm saying this publicly because it, she knows. Um, she would never, she, it's like a trigger word for her if you're like, you're not going to make it. She's like, oh, really? Oh, just you wait. <laughs> she she is not one to be easily defeated. So, um, you know, and that's brilliant because that trickles through everything we do. And, you know, we we are problem solvers, all of us. Um, Nova on the digital front and the user journey, you know, experience and kind of solving all these problems that we cook up these crazy plans. She's like, oh, you too. But we all sit there all day solving problems and figuring out ways to keep the lights on and keep going and, and being able to do it and do it the way we want to do it because we believe that's the way our members want it, not the way that it suits funders or corporates or, you know, whatever. Like we have to do, we have to do what's best for the people we service and, and they like it when we're humans. Yeah, and I guess it's like being responsive to the people that have signed up to CEC, like what do you want, what do you need? And that interaction that you have, like all the workshops and webinars and um, the chance to speak to a mentor, you know, and just have have those interactions you'll then be learning all the time and feeding that back to the group to say like actually I think here's a gap if you like in in the market this is what people are wanting right now and it, I think it is important not to just go I know what's good for you mm. obviously you all have collectively your own experiences and you have something you can give but also listening is really important too I think that was integral to us when we set out you know and I will give Nova credit for being someone who is entirely evidence-based she you know I think there's there's two things at play. One was we wanted to be a member-driven community where people got to shape the content because I think the failure of everything else that's out there is that they're telling you what they think you need rather than you telling them what you want. It's yeah. not that complicated, except it is like bleeding a stone to get Scottish people to tell you anything. Once you get them talking, they'll tell you about everything, but getting them talking is not so easy. But other than that, um, you know, it's, it's such an obvious solution, right? Just tell me what you want. I'll program it. It should be led by you. So being user-led was really important for us. But Nova, to her, to her credit, recognizes the difference between what people say and what they mean. And what they mean is determined by how they interact, right? So like, they might say they want something, but they never use it. So, you know, what, what the evidence says, the, digi- the data, the information on the back end of the website, how people interact with us, how they respond to us, what they're using, all those things. You know, she's really, really clever about how we use that information to influence our choices. Because it's so easy to think 
to surmise to go like what they mean is this and and because that's what it means to you that's how you've <laughs> interpreted it when she's like that's not what that nothing supports that none of the numbers support that so slow your roll so you know <laughs> she's really good about keeping us in check with things like that and not throwing the bathwater out with the baby or the baby out with the bathwater and and like sometimes you don't know what you want so you just yeah. like like that's like you know like you were saying earlier and like ideas are like farts like you just say stuff yeah because you're like i'm just like because now there's an awkward silence, so I need to say something. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you know, it's not always what you actually need or want. So it's great if the if the evidence is there that you know I can't gush about it enough. I think it's wonderful in terms of like I know we're now into the new year and things are different, but they're still hard. And especially for the creative industries, is, is there an action plan? Like, what are you hoping that you can put into place this year that you weren't able to do last year? Um, I think our big thing is quality over quantity. You know, last year we threw a lot of things to see what would stick. And um, maybe they weren't all as good as they could have been. Um, and I think we're doing less, but with more attention and more care. And also because we have limited resource, limited energy, limited availability, and we need to take care of ourselves so we can be there for the long run. So um, I, I think, you know, for me, I just wrote a blog article. It was in the last newsletter about letting go of all the expectations that I put on myself that other people put on me not giving any fucks about homeschooling anymore because who cares and I just makes me feel like shit about myself and not kind of caring like eliminating all the things I can eliminate so that I can focus um, and doing fewer things but doing them better so I think that's the theme for 2021 I think that should be for everybody to be quite honest because I think less is more when you're reserving energy and caring for yourself um, we've got a lot more studio visits because I think it's really um, great to see what people are doing in their actual spaces because I feel starved of that. I feel like I can't go to galleries. I can't go to shops. I can't see inside people's spaces and I'm sick of seeing inside of my own. I'd much rather be a voyeur. Um, so <laughs> studio visits are 11 and conversations like what you're doing, um, keeping interesting people doing interesting things at the front of what we're doing. And then, you know, as always, m more sort of small group discussions, because I think the the great sadness with the Zoom world is that there's a lot of talking at there's not that much listening. And there's not that much of a chance for everybody to kind of say their piece and, and be supported by others. So I think that stuff's really kind of the core of what we're doing. And then we're delivering a lot for other people. We're delivering a lot of programs um, that are very much like courses, you know, that are like on a journey. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll be doing that to kind of keep the lights on. And it's really fun. I love it. So, yeah, that's what we're up to. Yeah, I, I mean, I really admire that, like just that ability to almost like reflect and go last year we, we put out like you were saying like you know you're throwing stuff hoping that it sticks and I did that with the podcast you know I was like do you want to do a IGTV live do you want to do this do you want to do the Bra Brave Club and and like that you know it, maybe they were all just farts as well but you know you've got to try stuff but then take stock of right well what was successful what felt good for you as well like just like looking at yourself and going other people might have enjoyed it but do we feel like that that really sums us up is that does that feel of use and I think it's important to like take stock of that to then move forward and just say well we tried and it's again it's like that idea of like you're not going to know unless you just give it a go you know and I think that's a brave 
thing to do. And, you know, people are forgiving of that. Like if you try something and it doesn't work, it's not, they're not never going to come again, you know, unless you greatly offended them. So, you know, you, you try things, they work or they don't, you take stock, you review, you try new things and, and you keep going. Nova would say only change one thing though. If you change too many things, you can't tell which, you can't measure the change. So don't change too many things at once. Pick one thing, change it, give it a period of time, review it, see what difference it made, and then carry on because she's clever. Because what I would do is is burn the whole thing down and fucking start again because I, that's how I am. But <laughs> I think I'm, I'm like you, I'd be like, well, that's that then. <laughs> yeah. Just start all over again. Yeah. That was a total disaster. <laughs> you need, you need a yin to your yang. You know, I think the, the, even if it's not your business partner and one of the reasons that I'm adamant and passionate about building networks and communities is that you need sounding boards. You need other people to say, you know, when you've cooked up some insane idea to take it to someone who's, has a different approach for them to go, why, why, why do you think that? Cause that doesn't seem like it's a good idea. You need those people. So those discussion groups are for that. And, you know, meeting people in the network that you can create that kind of dynamic with, it's important for your sanity because you're making, currently we're all making decisions in isolation. It's not a good <laughs> process. <laughs> you know, we should no. be making them in conversation. We should be making them with experts. We should be making them with other people, but we're, we're forced into this weird situation. So important that you keep your networks alive and that you keep talking to people. Cause I think that's the only way through making good decisions. I'm lucky to have a Nova, even though she's insane in other ways. I mean, Rachel Nova and I, in another career could be committable, but thankfully we found our way to, you know, the perfect storm. Yeah. The perfect storm. Yeah. I, I definitely miss that being in the room and just like seeing whatever comes into your head and other people to like unpack it and untangle it and then go, well, we could have that bit. Maybe not that bit. I, I guess with the podcast as well, like I've selfishly created this space where I can just get all the best advice from everybody that definitely know better than I do. <laughs> Do things. It's a brilliant plan. It's, not, <laughs> no, it's totally. not selfish. It's Machiavellian. It's brilliant. It's how it should be. That's what we should all be doing. We should all be finding things that we enjoy doing that help us develop as people. It's like, why are we all apologizing for this? It's brilliant. I mean, especially when you're stuck at home doing nothing. To be able to, you know, capitalize on all these other people that you have in your life and and learn from them and do something you like doing, like it's a win. It really is. But no, like when we had that conversation and you were like, well, you could do this or you could do like a podcasting workshop for us. And I was like, like an actual stranger, like just gave me an opportunity and was like, yeah, you can do that. I really appreciated that in that moment where there just wasn't much happening for somebody else to say, do you know what you're doing? Like, I like it. Let, let's let's make something happen. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. But to your credit, you grab the opportunity and you fucking smash it out of the park. And I think the difference between you and lots of other people is, you know, being proactive to find people to talk to about it, taking feedback on board, you know, taking all that gobbledygook that I threw at you, picking out the bits that made sense to you and turning it into something. So, you know, I, I constantly complain that there's all this support out there and there's all these people out there complaining there's no support. So, you know, one of those things is incongruent. Yeah, I get uh, You do need to take the opportunity when it's there and, and take the leap almost of faith or whatever or just put yourself out there and that's something like I don't find difficult to do to, to a degree there's always that self-doubt and I was like oh I can't do that or, you know there's a there's always like a level of which I'll get to and I'm like okay like, get yourself back down but I think it is yeah you've if the opportunity is there you've got to grab it and like we were saying earlier on like what's the worst that can happen people just say no thanks 
Fine. Great. Move on. Well, you're no worse off than you were before you asked. You know, I think that's really important to recognize. Like when it, <laughs> like what, what is the consequence? I used to say before I had a child and I was an old person, I used to say in life, my theory was if the consequence isn't like death or life in prison, fuck it, give it a try. Now I think the consequence can be like emotional damage or like, you know, something maybe far more subtle and damaging over time. But when I was young and wild and I thought, yeah, I'll just move to LA, fuck it. Um, you know, but I do think to a certain degree, we probably don't say fuck it enough as adults because we're adulting and you forget how to take chances and risks and put yourself out there and be vulnerable. But I think it's a mistake to not keep pushing yourself and to not keep a little bit of uncomfortableness in the peripheral to keep you motivated and and learning and trying well i'm not up for the ice baths and the cold water swimming that everybody's doing to get themselves uncomfortable so i'm just going to keep asking questions i think that's my uncomfortable or like looking for opportunities that's my being uncomfortable it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be physical that sounds traumatic all these people taking ice baths and jumping in the sea i'm like "Mm, not quite there yet i i appreciate it i'm like thumbs up all the way but i don't think i'll be in there personally So before I take you on to the hingamajigs, which are just random questions that I ask every guest. Yes. You've given so many wonderful points of kind of advice. You're so motivating and just real, like, I know I keep saying it, but you really are. Is there one piece of advice that either you've been given or even like a lesson learned along the way of all the things that you've done, all the positions you've been in, all the places you've lived in and all the stages of your life becoming a mum is there just one thing that you're like that's like a total lesson learned or like a piece of advice that I carry with me oh that's tough um I I am horribly horribly impatient uh um I have a six-year-old who tells me how impatient I am all the time which is saying something with no irony he says it with no irony like he's not the most impatient person ever um so I try to be conscious of my flaws and I try to work on them all the time, just be aware of them. I think one of the greatest gifts that I've ever given myself is to be aware of my flaws, to not let them be things I apologize for necessarily or make myself feel bad about, but be aware of them. So when someone else says them to me or you know they become an issue that they're not surprising, I'm never caught off guard by someone saying like, you know, you're obnoxious or you're uncompromising or you're whatever you are, that there are things that I, you know, embrace about myself, even though there are flaws and I use them to my advantage and I um, work on them. You know, my, my mother says, you just pick one thing about your mother that you hate and you try not to be it. But my mother's amazing. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind to be her. It's not a bad thing to work toward. I don't pick one thing that, that I hate about my mother and work on it. I just pick things that I don't love about myself that I know I could be better at, like being patient. So lockdown is um, the, the patience tester of, of a lifetime. Yes. So I'm working on that. But yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, there's always a way. There's always a way to do everything and use the time you have because it does matter. I think time does matter. And I feel for people at the moment who are missing opportunities when they don't have enough time. You know, I feel for students or Olympians who aren't going to Olympics or elderly people who this is maybe the last years of their life or, you know, I think time matters and I think you have to use it incredibly well. I don't think you need to be pressured by it, but I think you just need to be aware of it and not let things slip by that you could be doing. So true. I've never been so impatient and I consider myself to be a bit, I have many flaws, many, many flaws, I'm a very patient person usually, but yeah, and and I've got nothing really to worry about in the grand scheme of things when I see what's going on in the world and you you know having these conversations, I realise what is going on and what people are having to deal with. 
and you just think, geez, oh, you know, but I still am in my wee cupboard feeling very impatient about mm. wanting to get back to my life. But this is your life. Like yeah. you say, this is, it's, we're living in it and it's, it's just about kind of almost like embracing what you can and being yeah. grateful for what you can. I try not to piss my time away. It's so easy on Instagram and Pinterest and things like that. I can waste hours, but I could be like learning a language or baking or something. So I try to prioritize the things that are about self-development. And also, I guess, you know, something I've really put a lot of energy into over lockdown is being there for my friends in a more conscious way and not needing like social media friends to approve of what I'm doing, but to just check in with my people all the time and surround myself with good people. A dear friend of mine said when Lachlan was born, um, the days are long, but the years are short. And it's very true. Parenting makes days long. I clock watch sometimes until that kid goes to bed. But then, you know, all of a sudden he's six and I'm like, how do we get here? So you must you must be careful. You don't wish time away. You don't waste it. So true. All the great advice, Nadia. <laughs> and you know, again, like if anyone is now going, why did, I not, why did I not know about Creative Entrepreneurs Club? What do they need to do, Nadia? Well, it's free to join, um, not indefinitely, but whoever joins, um, I think, well, I don't know what the deadline is, but at some point it won't be free. So join now and then it'll be free for life. Um, it's wearecec.co.uk or creativeentrepreneursclub.co.uk. Um, and we're on Instagram and wherever. Just sign up and complete your profile for the directory and start benefiting from all the stuff that's on there there's loads of content and also if you want to do your own things on there write or run workshops or whatever just let us know awesome i'll put all the details in the show notes thank you for all your support and all your praise i'm going to come here for ego boosting regularly it's easy enough to praise you (laughs) and entrepreneurs club (laughs) it absolutely is so i won't keep you much longer but these are what we call the hangamajigs my first one well, we're talking about books, obviously, but if you were to write an autobiography, I don't know if you have any plans to do that, what would you call it? Who the fuck would read this is what I would call it. Like, who could be asked? What a snorefest. Some lady's life. The life of some lady who did some things. I mean, ugh. That's such an idea, answer, I love it. On, on, the, on the list of things I aspire to in life, that ain't it. Um, what is your current obsession? Um, shashiko Japanese stitching. It's this tiny Japanese stitching that um, is like really meditative and really beautiful. And I've always wanted to do it and I've always wanted to take a class on it. And then I just thought over lockdown, why aren't I just like learning this on YouTube? So yeah, it's great. I love that. Yes. What is the best sound ever? I might have said rain before I moved to Scotland, but that's the only sound ever. In, in Scotland. <laughs> I do love it though. I do. I find it really uh, like just it's a good reason to have a jumper on and snuggle up and read and not feel guilty about it. So there's something really wonderful about rain. And in fact, I really I I jest. I only mind rain with a child. In real life, the life I had before I became someone else's fucking employee, I um I loved the rain. Yes. <laughs> I love it. What or who makes you laugh? My son makes me laugh all the time. He is, you know, becoming like a weird homeschooled child who doesn't see other children. So like what I'm hopeful all children have become this so that he's not particularly weird, but he is like a tiny adult person who just spits out all the things that I say cavalierly without thinking that anyone is going to record them and play them back to me later on. So, you know, like when he was very little, he'd run over to me with his rubbish or something and I'd say, "I don't work here. Put it in the bin." And now 
when I say do something, he says, I don't work here. And I'm like, you, you, you actually do me. <laughs> you, you've got that wrong. <laughs> so lots of kind of unexpected things coming out of a small person's mouth. And I really, really tickles me every once in a while. He just goes, Medea. And I'm like, whoa. But when you get called your your like real life name by your child, it's particularly hilarious. So um, he is endlessly funny. And I can't believe that he doesn't only swear, but he doesn't swear. And he's like, He's just, he's super entertaining and he's a real ham sandwich. He loves to entertain and be really, he goes to drama club and stuff. So he's just very flamboyant and ridiculous. So it's good. It's good to have in-house entertainment at these times. I think that it's probably a survival method for him that I haven't eaten him or something is being funny. So it's working for him. Good job, wee man. (laughs) Um, Well, we're talking about having a nosy around creative spaces, but whose house would you like to have a nosy around? Um, I really want to go to um, in Cuba to Hemingway's house um, that he had with Fife. It's uh, incredible. There's like trees growing in the middle of it and it's madness. That sounds cool. You wouldn't expect someone to have a fast answer to that. I, I actually would. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, we had the most fun at the Creative Entrepreneurs Club um, Christmas gathering, by the way. Lots of cheesy Christmas music and all that. And I felt like you might be the very person that would go to karaoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, terribly and only in great humour, but yes. So what would be your karaoke song of choice? Uh, I am partial to Thunderdome, Tina Turner. I, I've just, um, I, after this call, I have to very shortly present to a bunch of GSA students. I talk about in that talk about having a crazy night in a black cab in London with Will Young singing Thunderdome at the top of my lungs. So yeah, that's my go-to jam. And even better if I can duet with Will Young, because obviously I, I have such a beautiful voice. Why wouldn't you want to sing with me? love that story. See, this is why I asked these questions. <laughs> it was very random. We're not really friends. <laughs> love it. Love it. And the last question to ask everybody in the podcast is, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Everybody who knows me knows my Scottish, my favorite Scottish word is drik. And I say it all the time because it's so satisfying. And I think it's probably the closest to Yiddish, which is, uh, I have a lot of Yiddish words in my dialect from my mother and my grandmother. So I think it's got that, <laughs> that Jews love anyway. But it also is like an onomatopoeia. It really, you don't have to know what it means to understand that cold in your bones, miserable shit weather. And I love it. I think it really captures what, those horrible Scottish days are. And outside of Scotland, people really don't know it, which is a shame. I bought a book when we were in the Isle of Mull that is like the 87 different words for rain in Scotland. And it brings me endless joy. I love language and I love words and I collect them. And the Scottish words for rain are so beautiful and apt. And honestly, it's, yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't know. To be fair, I've only lived in Scotland like three or four years. Although, as I said, many of my closest friends are Scottish, but I I don't know as many as I should because, well, I can't say a lot of them and I feel like a dick. <laughs> like, I can't even say I, you know, I feel like, you know, in a conversation, I wouldn't drop that in naturally. I sound forced and stupid. So, you know, you just have to manage yourself with that stuff. Universally, British words are fine. Like, my son doesn't even know what a diaper is. So being in America is really funny because my parents and he often don't understand each other, like nappy and pram and things that are courgette and that are very particularly... British 
Um, but very niche Scottish words, like, you know, I, I work with Nova and Rachel, who are very Scottish, and say wonderful phraseologies and words all the time. And I often can't even imagine what that could be spelled like, I, let alone repeat it. So I envy it and I value it, but I can't say it. Medea, you are anything but Dreek, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise. And I massively appreciate you doing this. And thank you so much for all your energy. What you're doing is wonderful. I massively appreciate that you've taken the time to do this. And I'm delighted that you're in the Brave Club now. You're part of the clan. Thank you for having me. I'm happy. This is one clan I am very interested in being in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.